I hope that uh, what I'm going to talk about will draw you closer so that we can have uh, a good uh, conversation on the subject that I proposed for this afternoon's lecture. I want to thank Bruce Little for the invitation uh, and the school for hosting us. Thank you so much for this uh, gift from the university to Deborah and myself. I want to also especially thank Jackie for the carefulness with which she uh, crafted these decorations on my suggestions. Uh, I gave her a difficult task to reflect in the decoration some of the things I'm going to address uh, in the form of ideas. I asked for evidence of human activity, uh, valorizing, giving value to the human being in history. And you have there um, examples, including the Wright brothers' first flight here in North Carolina, uh, don't be afraid, I'm not from Ohio, uh, that uh, claims a similar uh, human activity. Anyway, I wanted to talk about, and that's where the decorations are together with a map of different parts of the world, because I am troubled by the lack of education, the lack of knowledge of the real world that is so widespread in our countries. Uh, it is shameful to realize how many people are not encouraged to continue through high school and to graduate. Uh, I'm not even talking about university. Uh, it is uh, desperate to realize how little knowledge of the external world people have and how ignorant they are about different parts of the globe. One of the things I asked Jackie to get is a globe, for instance, but they were way too expensive and not on loan. Anyway, that's what the decoration is all about. It is purposeful to incite us to be more curious about the world we live in and not just to focus on temporary personal interests or on a merely professional orientation towards in the form of job training, but to actually be in touch with larger areas of human realities ultimately of the kind of world God has created and in which he has given us space and time to exhibit our being made in the image of the creator. There is a purpose behind that, precisely because increasingly people don't seem to know about the world as it exists. They know certain aspects, the ones they like, but they are not familiar with such terms as Palmyra in Syria, though we should by now be because of what ISIS has done to those ruins. Uh, we are not familiar with the position of Ceylon or Sri Lanka and the people that make up the population and why there was a civil war for, that lasted for a decade and a half between various religious groups, what they believe, why they believe that, etc. Largely, we are occupied with our very narrow field of observation, colored by the interests that we have. And yet, the Great Commission in Matthew tells us that we should go out into all the world and to preach and to convince people to become disciples of Jesus Christ. For that, we need to know what that world is like, what people believe, how they see reality, and how, in fact, the good news of Christ 
helps them, gives them answers to the profound questions that arise merely out of human existence itself. We live in a real world in which we are surrounded by a material, natural world that functions according to its own laws. That's why we can talk about natural, natural law. We're surrounded by fellow human beings who are a surprise and an annoyance mm -hmm. because precisely they are more than bodies. They also have ideas and they make choices which may affect us positively or destructively or leave us indifferent. But further beyond that, we're also surrounded by what we as human beings, in contrast to uh, natural phenomena, both stones, flowers, and animals, see as conflicts, conflicts to our mind, inconsistencies in reasoning, as well as conflicts on the most profound and immediate level between the reality of birth and death, or life and death. And that is the reality that we are part of and to which we need to have some explanation. And if we are not just going to take statistical data about these phenomena, we also need to recognize them as problems, as wonder, and find solutions where problems uh, are discovered. Now, the Great Commission usually is contained in going forth and telling people about their sinfulness before God, and the need for redemption from their moral evil, from their guilt. Sometimes it continues to contain also some future eternal life. The basic question of Campus Crusade for years was, where are you going to spend eternity? As if that were the central question, not beginning at the beginning, and that is, what made you so different from everything else in the real world, from its natural reality, it's just unrolling of history, as it were, and the processes in physics and chemistry. My proposition in the context of what I would like to talk to you, with, to you about and uh, then open up for discussion is that as Christians we have an obligation to enjoy God, to understand that he created a real world for a purpose that there would be a real world. He created human beings distinct in his image as personages to think and to act, to choose, to engage, to discover, to observe, to wonder, and to enjoy God forever, as well as to enjoy being a human being with a body, with a mind, with sensitivities, with skills learned and appreciated. It is unique to Christianity to so affirm creation as a good act of God and not one that is merely a temporary short-term existence which then disappears in some embrace of an eternal otherness. That's what you have in Eastern religions where the material reality of creation is meant to be forgotten, overlooked, removed, where the purity of the soul and mind is of such importance that the physicality of the material world is to be rejected, neglected, done away with, pretended that it isn't there, in order to avoid pain, suffering, and the conflicts that I mentioned, fundamentally the conflict between life and death, between sorrow and joy, etc. The biblical emphasis and unique to Judaism and Christianity is that God created a world that it would be there forever. He created the here and now of the world and urges us to, with mandates, to household it, to
to manage it, to steward is, uh, be stewards over it, to enjoy our humanity and to flesh it out with inventions and constructions and with creative minds and skills in order that there would be additions to God's creation. The wonder in Genesis 1 and 2 that describes that is that God did not expect the world merely to be a repetition of what he has made, but rather to, be conclude, to include also an uh, elaboration of what is possible. It's interesting that when God made man and woman, he doesn't describe what their relationship is to be. That was for them to figure out. They were to give names to the animals. They were to discover what is above the ground and underneath the ground. They are to cope with the reality as a playful, as a play, as a reality that one could play with in order to uh, enjoy it more, to benefit from its uh, resources, its abilities, its gifts, its beauty. That understanding of the world that comes from Genesis um, is foundational for everything that follows and is the basis for human affirmation, for the affirmation of the mind and the body, of thought and the material world, and the reality of beauty in distinction to ugliness uh, or uh, a neglect of the wonder of the diversity of creation itself. We have that instruction in scripture uh, by means of the text that we live in an orderly, purposeful uh, reality, which then by the third chapter of Genesis is also with, described with an additional insight, and that is that nature at this point is damaged from that point on, is damaged, fragile, and needs care, intervention, and correction. Life is now threatened by death, and it needs to be uh, fought for. It doesn't naturally happen anymore. It needs protection, it needs support, it needs correction. We find that to be true not only in light of what Scripture tells us, but also in light of our observation. That if, in fact, we take life seriously, human existence seriously, then we must engage ourselves for its protection. I have a daughter who is a social worker by profession, and she always says it's not enough to be pro-life if you're not going to feed those that survive from the birth uh, uh, or survive through the abortion culture. It is not enough just to sort of talk about helping to diminish the pain in a fallen world. You also need to engage yourself in that and in light of the fact that we now have a population that largely is uh, left to itself rather than really cared for in the different needs in a culture that claims that there is an equal opportunity, opportunity for everyone, we need to recognize as Christians that there is no such thing as an equal opportunity, but that we must engage ourselves to precisely pursue justice in adjusting our gifts and abilities and our weight of uh, moral uh, concern to each individual situation. To tell this good news of the existence of God who decided to create a real world, of the human being made in the image of God, of life given being having been created to exist forever and not to be uh, blotted out by death itself, is indeed something that needs to be pronounced in a cultural context in which the evidence is much more about the absence of God, not about the presence of God. 
in which most people live in rather difficult circumstances. Certainly by the time old age and disease and sickness come upon us, we realize that this is not a good situation overall. This is not the next stage of an existence to be enjoyed as something you haven't tasted yet. But rather we live in a situation where, in precisely, the difficult circumstances require an answer that the Bible gives us in the affirmation that before the beginning there already was a thinking being forever, an eternal person. God, in the beginning, before the beginning, decided to create a real world. And thus against the fragmented life of merely observing the natural world or merely pursuing our personal interests, we need to get back to the biblical account of what it means to be a human being and then specifically what it means to be an educated human being in order to benefit from the knowledge and the skills and the observation of the real world. I bring all this up and this became a subject of concern to me in light of the fact that the only models that people seem to have or be given in today's world for their life is the model to become a businessman. It's almost a joke that any Russian you ask what they're studying for, it's to become a businessman. <clears throat> but even in our own culture, widespread is the impression that what's worth it, it what makes life worthful worthwhile is precisely to pursue a career in business. I think much of the attraction of Mr. Trump lies in the fact that he obviously has made it in business. Never mind whether it's by hook or by crook. Nevertheless, he has made it in business. And the uneducated person largely, because that seems to be, according to the press reports, the larger proportion of people who side with him, somehow hope that if he has managed to get so far ahead, they will also, if they vote for him, that business is the solution to the, my problems, to my unemployment, to my uh, whatever. I must make a deal and then I'll get ahead. <clears throat> Another section of the population is merely out to pursue pleasure, to have fun, as it were. And then there are the Christians who pursue heaven as the final goal, as where finally humanity or my own human existence will be fulfilled and find its satisfaction. It's all part of sort of a dream-like aspiration without the foundational equipment <clears throat> intellectually and practically to fill out what it means to be a human being. What it means to be a human being used to be taught in schools. It used to be taught in the text from scripture. It used to be communicated by means of stories. It was presented in pictures in museums, uh, first in homes and then in museums. It was part of the ritual of growing up in family life and in learning the skills from your neighbor's job uh, or the father as you joined the trade that he was in and copied him and it became a natural part of life. You learned from what took place in the city itself. You notice birth, marriage and death, skills practiced in crafts and in legal professions and in the medical professions. Even the barber was a local surgeon, which uh, is evidenced in that red, white and blue rotating light that's outside uh, of the barber shops. That's where it originally comes from. He was the local surgeon for minor, in, in, uh, minor work. 
But the Bible was also historically in our context that book from which people learned the alphabet to read and to understand that history is a continuum, that there are more people like myself and unlike myself. The Bible's record of good and bad prophets, terrible and wonderful kings, faithful and unfaithful spouses, uh, deception and faithfulness, etc., gave an opening to a perspective on reality that was realistic, confirmed in day-by-day -day experience. And so as the Bible was used as a textbook by Farrell, for instance, after whom Schaefer called his study center Farrell House, uh, when he used the Bible under the Bernese occupation of the southern part of Switzerland as the textbook in public schools, it was also that which Luther used in 1528 when he started the first school for girls in Rotenburg in Germany. It formed the vocabulary, the language, the pronunciation of the German language. It contributed to English being the language of, of America. Even the majority of the German immigrants coming to America had to learn English, though until World War I there was a big discussion whether German should be your national language. And then we had a war that finished that discussion. Nevertheless, out of the Bible came precisely the general insight into what it means to be a human being. We are created by God to be human beings, to make choices, to be wise, to prevent the folly of what others have done, to learn from the mistakes, and to enjoy the models given in Scripture, the models that were always somewhat muddled. You can learn a lot from King David, including that you should, must, must not lust after somebody else's wife. Anyway, it was the Bible that was used as a textbook for language development, for alphabet, for reading and writing, for getting to know better the human race in both its wonder and its tragedy. <clears throat> Schools were not only... Um, by, I mentioned Farrell as one of the illustrations. Wesley started the school in Savannah, Georgia in th 1737. Joseph Bellamy in Bethel, Connecticut in 1740. But eventually I come to what Sunday school used to be. When I go back to Robert Rakes in Gloucester in England, who in the, in the 1780s started what was called a Sunday school. Now, Sunday school, in Reich's understanding, was a way to make use of the free time that young boys had in, his, in Gloucester itself on Sundays when the factories were closed. Reich's was the owner and journalist and writer for the Gloucester Journal. He had inherited that from his father, and he realized that there are all these boys running around the street making noise and mischief. In fact, there is a record from Gloucester that the mischief when found, the robbery, the insults, the dirt, was more expanded on Sundays than on the rest of the week, because that's when they were busy. On Sunday, they were idle. And so he decided to make the use of the Sunday by teaching Sunday school. Sunday school consisted of reading and writing and mathematics. There was no catechism taught until later. What he was interested in is precisely to awaken people to the possibility of understanding the world, giving them the tools by which to measure, by which to evaluate, by which to recognize, by which to classify more the kind of world we live in. He started by visiting prisons, the cast-offs, the sick, the filthy children and the adults, and affected public opinion in this way in favor 
uh, by being in favor of diminishing the suffering of the people of the lower classes, as he called it at the time. He wrote about these in his newspaper, and he awakened public outrage at the neglect that so many people grew up without the tools and the ability to understand the real world, and thus he started his Sunday school. It was school on Sunday. It was not ways to salvation. It was a way to reduce the crime. It uh, expressed his belief that crime is preventable. He wrote, it is better to prevent crime than to punish it. And teaching school was one of the ways to make that more likely. And so the consequence of that, a few years later, was that somebody said that the street is as quiet as heaven. The street is as quiet on Sunday as heaven. Before, there were more injuries on Sundays than on every other day of the week. And so, with that as an origin, is it not interesting that there were Christians who understood the need to give the skills, the motivation, the respect to individuals that comes with educating them, giving them the tools to get to know the larger world? From that, also, you expand to going abroad, visiting other countries, other cultures, either directly if you had the money or through texts that were written about it in order to get acquainted with them, reading the scriptures to know more about the wonder and the tragedy of the human being in a world that God created to be good and which we messed up considerably, and so, so that it often leads to despair when we precisely don't know how to deal with the real world. When the Bible was used as a text, it led furthermore to a popular acceptance of scripture. It was no longer a matter of just for the theologians. It became a tool of instruction and information and encouragement in the individual home as well. And you have pictures from these 18th and 19th century of the family Bible being read while mother does her mending of socks or whatever. Um, but it was precisely the tool through which uh, people learned to spell, to read, to broaden their experience uh, by means of language into something more detailed about the human being here and other places. It gave them also a continuity of a narrative. That is, it explains the where from, the what, why, and the where to of human existence. It went back to creation eternal existence of a good, loving, and caring God who created a world of tremendous detail between water and land, between animate and inanimate objects, between man and non-man, etc., opening the door wide for an exploration of the natural world and of the varieties of human experience. It put the individual life into a narrative. It gave me a connection with the past and the responsibility for the future as a mindset <coughs> that uh, shaped a whole uh, cultural context. It saw the future as something different than the past, transcending all temptations to merely repeat what is there before or to merely follow instructions. It opened the door for individual initiative and curiosity, for doubt and resolution about the questions of life itself. Interesting to me is that when Sunday school eventually 
became also a focus of evangelism. It was the Bible that was taught, not a particular catechism. There was no Westminster Confession used in schools. There was no Lutheran con uh, <coughs> catechism used. What was used was precisely the larger context of the scriptures as an explanation of the world we live in, of human reality transcended, uh, descended from the past and put me now at the forefront of a historical choice which I must make in order to create the next age or the next generation or the next building or the next invention. It transformed lives without immediately an evangelistic appeal or a record of conversions. It gave a narrative to the human being in the flow of history. As First Thessalonians, Paul in Paul in First Thessalonians points out in the first chapter, <clears throat> that his teaching in Thessalonica led people, he was there for three weekends if you read the book of Acts to see his record of time in Thessalonica, where they changed their thinking, the thinking of the Thessalonians dramatically from abandoning the many idols of their own inventions, the many Greek gods, replacing them with a the one true and living God giving unity where there before had been chaotic diversity, and expressing a linear view of history, that history is going somewhere because we're looking forward to the return of Christ, whom God raised from the dead, giving the hope of life everlasting, uninterrupted eternally by death itself, and expressing that we live in a moral universe because by putting your faith in Christ, you escape the coming judgment. That's how Paul describes it at the end of the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. My point is it gave a history. My place is in a flow of history. I'm a member of a human race. I have inherited things which I can adopt if they are good and improve on, correct, uh, replace if in fact they were wrong. And using the skills and gifts I have go beyond what is already there. Not merely repeat but take flight, as the Wright brothers did, or look through the skin and meat of flesh, muscles to the bones, as Mr. Röntgen did, and so forth. Now, this focus on the human being being made in the image of God, this focus on creation, this marvelous thing that God put into place for us to explore, to play with, to enjoy, to benefit from, etc., <clears throat> can be destroyed in its biblical perspective, in its uh, aspect of favoring human existence in two ways. One is to deny the physicality of the universe, the physicality of our body, the physicality of our work, to focus so much on our soul that we forget that we, we no longer see the combination that God has put in us as human beings, mind and body, or soul and material existence, hands to work with, brains to use, etc. <clears throat> that pursuit you find in Eastern religions, in Hinduism, Buddhism, in Taoism, in Confucianism, where basically the real world is to be overcome by neglect, by denial, by such spiritual contemplation that the material is totally denied in its effectiveness, in its effective reality. As one person in New Delhi once told me, aren't all religions the same? They're all ways to overcome pain. And I pointed out, no, that Judaism and Christianity affirms the pain. 
the overcoming comes not from a mental exercise of otherness, but rather from constructive engagement now. That's why you go to doctors to overcome physical handicaps. And by the resurrection of Christ and our resurrection in the body with renewed bodies, as scripture holds out for some future time, possibly very, very soon. Could be tonight. But that was one of the elements that destroys that perspective that comes from the Bible. I usually associate it with Plato's thinking, where the concern is how to get to heaven, when heaven is not a biblical concept the way it is presented. Paul never talks about going to heaven. He talks about going to be with the Lord. It's a place of active reality where the saints cry, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, until the blood of the martyrs is avenged and this mess has stopped. The last part of the sentence is my own addition. <laughs> the other tendency is to become so enamored with the material world that that's all there is. And then we are embraced by basically an impersonal natural world, which I associate, if I choose a Greek philosopher with Aristotle, emphasis that everything moves along according to its laws and there's no interruption or no surprise. And the human being is to fit into that, to go with the flow, as it were, and to fulfill the circle of life and death as a normal process, pushing along the elements that surround me that then move by their own legal, by their own rationality, continuously. That is a focus on earth, just on the materiality. And it is against both of these extremes, the platonic otherness of heaven, where the ideal is somewhere else, and the impersonal emphasis of Aristotle that the Bible speaks against and presents an alternative. No, God has created a real natural world of change and continuity, but he's also created human beings in his image precisely to produce change and after the fall also correction and improvement. That creation that God has made is a holy place, is a sacred place. It's his property. It is our property. In it, we are to express our image of God by pursuing love and justice so that eventually that love and justice will permeate all existence, that we may become experience the fullness of the human effort in all events is what we wait for. That's what Leviticus admonished the Old Testament to. Leviticus chapter 17 through 26 is a way to express how that is the purpose of our existence. Zechariah 14 verse 20 talks about the day when that will be fulfilled in the work of God. Leviticus 19, in the midst of that passage, uh, those passages, points out that the center is to love our neighbor as ourself. That is to be part of the Great Commission. Uh, it's wonderful in New York, where we spend part of the year, usually happening for the last few years, in going through the Metropolitan Museum and to be exposed to representation of various cultures, of ideas, of people, of geography, of remnants of Palmyra and uh, the Assyrian rule, etc. I bring all this out because it seems to me we need to focus on the responsibility we have as creatures made in the image of God 
to again spread that vast invitation to knowledge, to be an educated person, to get to know how wonderful the human being is. The first designation of the human being is not that he's a dreadful sinner, but that he is an image bearer of God who has done terribly wrong, who has lied, deceived, etc., and sinned. But the first designation is precisely that we're image bearers of God. In the fact of a fallen world, which scripture points out too, that this is not what God wanted, this is not an expression of God's perfect plan, or rather this is a tragedy of human inventiveness, misused for the wrong purposes, to be like God. In the midst of that, precisely, we need to invite people again to understand the scriptural context, that we live in God's universe. I mentioned earlier in another context that when I was teaching in Russia in the 90s, I didn't go to share my experiences with Jesus, with the Russians, but rather tell them that they've been lied to. They've been told that eternal is energy and nothing exists but energy, matter, materialism, naturalism, that that's all there is to life. And I pointed out to them that that is an insufficient explanation for the wonder of their humanity, their love of music, their love of children, their hospitality, their kindness to each other once they've locked themselves into their private apartments behind metal doors because of the evil of the world around them. Humanity is what God intended us to be. Fractured uh, we are, but we are given the command precisely to come with the invitation to become disciples of Jesus Christ. But disciples means to put yourself under the discipline of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus has taught. And he didn't just teach a way to heaven. He also taught us that the reasoning of the Pharisees is totally wrong. That you don't necessarily go to dinner with the authorities of Herod. You may invite other 5,000 to a hillside and see how the Lord provides for them. And then tell them they must get on with life and not come back for a second meal because he hadn't come for a new social program. He is the one who heals the sick, who is upset about death, who encourages precisely the development of each human being to be fully, more fully in the image of God, in the creative abilities that we have as human beings. And for that, we need to be encouraged as individuals to see ourselves in that stream. It is one of my more radical propositions, perhaps, that the attractiveness of movements like ISIS or the attractiveness of movements such as Calvinism or the attractiveness of movements such as National Socialism or the American Dream as an idea comes precisely because people are lost. They don't see themselves anymore in the continuity of the human race that's described in the scriptures. Modern ways of communicating with, with each other, the electronic use of Facebook, Twitter, and other things do not give us a history of our own existence as part of the human race. It gives us individualized, momentary experiences of friendship that can be cut off, of words spoken that are not necessarily meaningful, of meeting people whom we cannot check out, of being confronted with all kinds of fragmented information which do not give us that continuity which we seek and which ISIS promises, which every ideology promises. 
that here comes the solution for all your problems. Here comes a movement in history. Here comes an apparent purpose to your life. It's very attractive to kids, to adults, who precisely are otherwise lost because nobody else has ever given them an overall place in the history of, exist of human existence. If we are going to take the good message out to the world, it needs to start precisely with, look, we are not interested in having another movement. We don't want you to join for the appearance of something or because it is a faith to follow, but rather because that is the truth of the universe. That is the only explanation for our human existence. The eternal existence of a personal God who in his very being is love, practiced among the three members of the Trinity who loved one another in the give and take relationships, and who then created a real world in which human beings particip participate in the materiality, in our body and the food we eat, and other things, as well as in our spirituality as being people with minds. The brain, that physical element, has a mind of its own. And understand ourselves in that flow with a hope precisely of Christ who was raised from the dead and who one day will return to restore God's creation to what it was intended to be to begin with. Christ will one day return. There is a heavenly Jerusalem that will come down to earth. Those that are alive at his coming will not have to die because the normal thing, the intended thing for us as human beings is to live forever on earth without the need for forgiveness. We experience forgiveness because we have sinned. The restoration of our body is still outstanding. But when Christ comes, that then indeed we will be more able to be fully human when, brought, when body and spirit is brought back together again and we are more fully that image of God that he intended us to be. That gives us an account, a story in which each person is valued in which the use of the mind is important, in which the training of the body is part of the exploration of who I am as a person, in which the skills I express with the models that are given on that cardboard in the center of the table are an encouragement of what people have accomplished, in which I can discover then freely other areas in which human enterprise is necessary without being so narrow down to merely having success in business or making a deal, or having a faith experience, but rather coming back to the scriptural emphasis. Look, we've been met, it sounds like uh, Kasich. He always says, look. Um, understanding more fully what it means to be a human being in God's creation. Thank you very much. <laughs>